is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, of course, I am Rob Watson. Um, we have, we love bringing you shows that show a different facet of culture and exploration and art and expression. And uh, last week, if you were listening to our podcast, you heard um, the Russian dancer um, who made a film called Incomplete and infused dance into that film, and which was an amazing experience. Um, this week, I think we have something that is incredibly mind-blowing. Um, the, the centerpiece of what we're going to be talking about today is accurate, actually a documentary film called Finding Her Beat. But what we're actually going to be talking about is something much bigger than a film. Um, and the film is around a, an individual performance. And that performance represents something much bigger than it, as a matter of fact. Um, we are going to be talking to uh, Taiko rock star Jennifer Weir. Uh, Taiko is a musical tradition from Japan. Taiko literally means drum in Japan. So if you, if you aren't familiar with it, you can already get a sense of what the core of this music is about. It is about drumming. But it is more than just a drum or drum beat. It is this energetic musical performance um, with these the biggest drums that you've ever seen in your life. Um, the music comes off. It is primal. It is exhilarating. It is powerful. It is euphoric. Um, there are senses of both anger and healing, and it is empowering. It is it is just most the most mind-blowing musical experience I think you can find. Um, to that, that point, um, it has been used, if you are at all familiar with Cirque du Soleil um, in Las Vegas, they have a show there called Mystere, or at least they used to, and they opened that show <clears throat> with a um, takeo performance with two huge drums, and it is mind-blowing um it's when i saw that originally i i never forgot it and i never forgot the experience of feeling it sitting in a theater and feeling the reverberations and the athleticism of the keiko artist is masterful i mean it's not something it's not like the violin where you're calmly you know using your wrist and a bow i mean it is full body energy, an incredible, incredible art form. So we're going to be talking about that art form. We're going to be talking about its history, which um, it originated in um, parts of Asia um, thousands of years ago. It made its way to Japan about 2,000 years ago, where it was adopted very dramatically into the, the fabric of Japanese culture. It became both a military sound of 
the 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 drumming that they used when they were going to war and later got adopted by religious traditions um, in Japan. And since both of those are very male-dominated patriarchal endeavors, um, the tradition of Teiko was that it was to be performed by men. And that continued for centuries and centuries where women were allowed to dance with it and everything else, but they were not the performers. Um, Forty years ago, women took note, and particularly a few key women took note of this, this art form and wanted to participate and decided to participate and did participate. Uh, the problem is they were participating individually, doing their own creations in various parts of the world. Until now, until Jennifer Weir happened. And Jennifer looked at that art form of which she is part of. She is also the executive director of Taiko Arts Midwest. Um, and we'll, we'll get into her history. Um, but she took note of that and thought, gee, wouldn't it be a great idea to take all these fantastic women across the world who were participating and performing and creating Taiko and bring them together for one performance on one stage together in this collaborative effort. And that is what she did. And in the process made the, the documentary, Finding Her Beat, documenting this coming together of this great performance. And they did this pretty much on the eve of COVID going crazy in the United States and shutting everything down. So that is the backdrop of our conversation today. And uh, can't wait to get to that. We have Jennifer waiting in the wings. Before I bring Jennifer on though, I do wanna to go to our co-host and the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade Magazine, uh, Brody Levesque. Uh, Brody's got some breaking stories. And by the way, you should be reading the Los Angeles Blade every single day with its breaking news, and you can find that at losangelesblade.com. In the meantime, we have Brody himself. So with that, yeah. welcome to the show, Brody. Hey, Rob. Um, yeah, today's been one of those days. Um, we're going to start with a single executive action that just took place uh, in the state of Missouri. Uh, Missouri's Attorney General just signed an executive rule which is the same as an executive order, but in a legalistic way, bypasses because the governor doesn't have to get involved. And it's just banned or limited access to transgender care, gender-affirming care, uh, for almost the entirety of transgender people in the state of Missouri. This goes beyond kids. This now affects adults as well. The move threatens to roll back medical care for gender folks probably to the 1970s or earlier. Um, in many ways, it kind of seems to echo some of the right-wing political types we've been hearing who are about to eradicate transgender Americans altogether. The full order utilizes emergency rulemaking powers to severely limit gender-affirming care by doing the following. It would require that all trans people have three years of severe persistent gender dysphoria to obtain care. 
It would require 18 months of therapy sessions designated to, quote, explore influences on the patient's gender identity and mental health. And then it would require things like depression and anxiety to be resolved before starting gender-affirming care. And it would also ban that the care for trans adults uh, would eliminate anybody that suffers from autism. It would also require tests for social contagions. And then it would require 15 years of follow-up medical for all adults. Collectively, these requirements would ban across the board. In addition... Uh, they're already working on banning uh, care for trans youth in the state of Missouri. So essentially what this executive rule does is it completely, uh, you know, uh, eliminates trans care. Uh, We're in the process now of talking to the American Civil Liberties Union uh, in Missouri, uh, the ACLU uh, Maine in New York, Lambda Legal, the National Center for Lesbian Rights. So at this point, it's really going to be a determination of how fast someone can get into a federal court uh, to block this executive rule from taking effect. Uh, In the interim, making matters kind of even more onerous, um, Missouri lawmakers uh, yesterday in the House uh, passed a, the ban on gender-affirming care for trans youth. This bill will now uh, head over to the Senate, and if it does, then it'll go to the governor uh, for signature. What's really problematic about this is that the sponsor of the bill, a gentleman by the name of Senator Mike uh, Moon, um, basically this, this exchange took place uh, one of the Democrats, Representative Peter Meredith, uh, questioned Moon, who was testifying about the bill because it was his. And uh, Meredith basically asked Senator Moon if he truly aimed to protect children, uh, would he not support, you know, getting rid of child marriage for anybody as young as 12? Um, Moon responded defending child marriage and actually said he knew of 12-year-olds who had married and remained so. Today, he tumbled down on that. So here's a guy that's okay with child brides at age 12, but we're not okay with trans youth. Um, you know what, Brody? Said, you know, these people are taking poison that is going to snuff them out, and they don't <laughs> get it. Because what they are doing is they are absolutely antagonizing and bringing to the voting polls Gen Zers who have adopted these issues as their own, and they are going to eradicate themselves from the political sphere. It will take a few years, but they are sealing their own death warrants on this. This is ridiculous. The the principles behind this are insane. It's like medical decisions across the board – from reproductive rights to women's health care to trans health care, all those are, should be individual with a person and their doctor, period. And people are going to get that. It's like this, they, they think they're attacking some issue that is bothering people, but it doesn't affect people's individual lives. But the principle does. 
and they just don't get it. They're, they're, they're sniffing on some glue and getting a high on something they think is a great political wedge issue that they're going to use. And I'm telling you, they are lighting the match to a dynamite thread that they don't know is going to go off in their own hand. I am laying that prediction down right now. Anyway, what, what else did you have to say, Brody? Well, let's go to the state of Florida a couple of days ago. And here's a direct quotation from a Florida lawmaker. You ready for this one? We have people that live among us today on planet Earth that are happy to display themselves as if they were mutants from another planet. Florida Representative Webster Barnaby, who represents Deltona, Florida, unleashed a transphobic rant at transgender Floridians who were literally sitting in front of him during committee hearing. These are transgender Floridians who travel from all over the state on a bill, it's House Bill 1521, which is a transgender bathroom bill, essentially. And he just went off on a tirade. He addressed them in the room, and I'm not going to read his whole statement. It's ridiculous. You can go read it at Los Angeles Blade. But the essence of it was the trans people are mutants, demons, and imps. And then he said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, and all of your demons and all of your imps who come and parade before us. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's just the level of hostility. And then we had a Florida representative, Randy Fine, who said in a hearing earlier today, and I got this texted to me by Brandon Wolf, who's the press secretary for Equality Florida. Randy Fine basically admitted that the object of all these bills was to erase trans people in the state of Florida, to which I replied to Brandon's text to me with a gift of Bugs Bunny sawing the state of Florida off a map of the United States and watching it float away into the middle of the Atlantic, because that's about where I'm at with that state right now. It is so well, bad. Yeah. It is so bad. You know, to that, that point. It's, it's worse. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Wait for it. The very organization that Brandon works for and the Florida Immigrant Coalition, which is the largest coalition in the state of Florida, these are both the largest civil and human rights groups, issued a travel warning, okay, to anyone thinking about coming to the state of Florida, okay, didn't matter if you're on holiday or thinking about moving or whatever, it's don't come here, okay? And the reason they issued it was because of the passage of laws and DeSantis' policies that are, A, hostile to the LGBTQ plus community, B, restrict access to reproductive health care, C, repeal gun safety laws, D, foment racial prejudice, and then the next one, E, attack public education by banning books and censoring curriculum. As far as these civil rights organizations are concerned, travel to to Florida is now a risk to the health, safety, and civil liberties of those who are considering short or long-term travel or even relocation, okay? So this is where we're at. I'm waiting for the next travel advisory for places like, oh, I don't know, Texas or Oklahoma or Missouri. Well, the the problem is that, that, yeah, but nobody wants to go to Oklahoma anyway, so that that I don't know will work that well with Oklahoma. But um, Florida has got a lot of problems right now. 
and I'm not talking about their civil rights or, or DeSantis or woke people. They, the insurance companies are leaving Florida because they won't insure them for flooding anymore. And as climate change gets worse and worse and worse, Florida isn't going to float away. It's going to be buried by water. Um, and that is the problem that they should be working on, and they're not. Um, there are memes going around about showing the flooding in Florida while Ron DeSantis is off in Chicago talking about woke people and how woke goes to Florida to die. Well, I got news for you. The whole state is going to die under him. I mean, it's like it is insane what these people are doing. Um, and my message to trans people who listen to our show is, you know, fight back. This and drag queens, it's like we – we don't need to sit for this garbage. Um, it is ridiculous. We need to fight it. Um, and that the gentleman that I use the term loosely that you were talking about, actually both of them in Florida, but the one who went on his tirade and name calling supposedly did it under the banner of being this devout Christian. And I have to tell you, if anybody is going to be embarrassed by his tirade, it should be Christians, because what he demonstrated itself is something that is the antithesis of what being a Christian is supposed to be about. It is, there is no thing in the Bible where Satan is represented by people who are expressing their gender differently or, or any of, uh, you know, having pink hair or any of that stuff. None of that is represented by demonology in the Bible. The, the demons of the Bible are the evil ones, the money grabbers, the, the, um, you know, <laughs> the people who put down other people. Those are the demons. So that gentleman needs to look himself in the mirror. And um, quite frankly, people who are Christians should be concerned that that is what's being represented as their religion because it does not put them in a very good light, and it will not increase people coming to be saved by them when that is what they have to offer. So um, anyway, no, I'm, you know, on the, that. Last, <laughs> the last, uh, the last uh, surveys I saw from Gallup, the Pew Institute, and UC Berkeley, you were talking about Gen Z. The threshold of Gen Zers who don't go to church and want nothing to do with it, about 50% has now been passed. You're talking upwards of 60. So, you know, in terms of relevance in religion, yeah, they pretty much ensured that the young people are going to find other ways to be faithful that doesn't include their basic white support premises neo-nazi clan beliefs on things so good for them um uh, yeah the i'm telling you the, the the whole thing is is they're all building their own extinction that is that's what's yeah. happening anyway go ahead Brody. all right well the last thing that we've got that and then before we go to jennifer who's been patiently waiting for us um there's been a lot of back and forth as you know on the abortion pill debacle Late last night at about midnight uh, central time, the Fifth United States Circuit Court of Appeals um, kind of messed a little bit with the ruling from the U.S. District Judge in Texas 
that it's going to continue to allow access to the pill, but place some restrictions on it, which immediately was objected to by not only the Justice Department, but Health and Human Services and a boatload of everybody else, including the American uh, Medical Association, because it was another case of courts, instead of litigating, legislating from the bench, making determinations that they're not qualified to make. So Attorney General Garland announced today that the Justice Department will be taking this ruling on the abortion pill to the Supreme Court. Uh, And as a matter of fact, I think Justice Department lawyers uh, will be at SCOTUS tomorrow. Uh, Right now, the way it stands, the ban against the pill, which was supposed to go into effect tomorrow, will not. Instead, the precedence will be what the Fifth Circuit ruled. However, the governors of about eight different states are stockpiling medicine anyway, and they're more or less going to ignore that. So there are several issues at play here. For now, the drug will not be taken off the market tomorrow. However, there are now restrictions on its use, which has already got doctors and everyone else chafing, uh, and it's headed for the high court. Uh, we generally, with these things, uh, aren't there, there's no real telegraphing or signal on the part of the high court. It's usually they will make an announcement, yes, we're going to hear the emergency relief, or no, we're not. Um, in this case, the right of justice for the Fifth Circuit is Justice um, Alito, who uh, is very, very anti-abortion. So there's a good chance, there's a really good chance he may just kick it back to the Fifth Circuit. Then there'll be another series of appeals. It really, because of the fact it's got such national import, however, I don't think Alito will probably do that. He'll probably go ahead and recommend to the court that we take this and then have a ruling. However, a ruling could take up to a month. So that's what we're looking at in terms of the abortion uh, pill fight uh, that's going on. I should note that the lawsuit that brought this entire forward was once again a hyper-Christian law group known as the Alliance Defending Freedom, and they have been behind a lot of this anti-trans uh, activity. They've been behind. They were directly responsible for the Mississippi case that overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, these people are just, yeah, pretty much evil on steroids, and they have been long, long time opponents of LGBTQ people and civil liberties and civil rights for LGBTQ people. Um, yeah, so there you go. That's today's fun. Well, uh, all I've got to say is with these stories and if for our audience listening, if there is, if you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling like you want to scream, you want to work this out in terms of the emotions around all of this garbage that is going on, I can't recommend a better thing than taking up Taiko as an art form um, because it is got it will give you a way to channel your passion to make some really melodic noise and um, music and um, work that out. I'm going to play a a little clip of Taiko for you so you can if you're not familiar with it it will give you a sense of what it's about. I'm going to apologize up front because this is probably the worst possible way for you to hear it um, via a podcast recording. Um, it is something that is really 
you need to experience, you need to see the artist doing it. I mean, it is much more intricate than just what it sounds like. But uh, anyway, just to give you a flavor, um, here is one uh, snippet of um, Taiko music that uh, we will let you take a listen to. introduction and segue into into taiko drumming i do have to apologize for the quality of that that clip because to your point um taiko drumming when you experience it is it's visceral and you can feel it rattling in your chest and when you what you couldn't tell from that as it was blowing out the speakers um is that the people who were drumming were actually in a sit-up position while they were drumming so the dynamic dynamicness of that and sort of um uh, embodying waves crashing against the rocks, and you kind of miss that when it's just uh, when it's just a pure oh, audio yeah. kind of thing. That's that's what I I actually debated with myself on even doing it, but it just that I just know that it is something that isn't necessarily widely known, um, and so I wanted to yeah. give people a flavor. But your point is so valid. Is like it is it is an experience, and I it moves me so much just. You know, because of that, it's the there's something beyond what regular other music does. It, it's like it just mm-hmm. is. It it hits at such a visceral, deep level of you know. Uh, yeah, you can feel it in your yeah. chest. You can feel it 
your, you know, uh, kind of like in your sit bones. It's just like it gets inside of you, and 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 that's what's so so compelling about it. Um, the other thing that's funny is that it's actually really hard to record taiko drumming well uh, because you often blow out the mics and blow out the speakers, <laughs> and and you want to capture the bigness of it, but yet you know, but yet you have to kind of, you know, find that happy balance. So so anyone who can retor- record taiko drumming, they really know what they're doing. Yeah, oh, totally. It, it is so hard to compartmentalize it because even even with that, and I agree with you, it's like if they could record that because I, I just, even listening to that recording and, I mean, I was I was I was actually telling myself, okay, you've got to cut it off. You got to cut it off. We don't have the whole time to play the whole thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I didn't want to. It's like I was still even in that form, captivated by it. But when you see the performance, I mean, it's not. It's it's one of the rare musical forms that watching the the physicality of the musician yeah. is part of it. It's like you cannot you cannot be a weakling and do taiko. It's like you just can't. I mean yeah. it's just yeah, it's well, just not in the cards. And it but it's so interesting I would say because I have seen some of the most petite um humans <laughs> just <laughs> you know, bring so much power. It really comes from your spirit. You know, definitely the physicality, the muscles, the endurance, the conditioning, like all of that makes all the difference. But you, what what the drum will do is really release your inner spirit, right? And so when you see that and you see, like, this fierce 65-year-old tiny woman making this huge sound on the drums, it's it's sort of awe-inspiring. Uh, yeah, no, it is, it is completely amazing. I love it. And it's um, – one of the things that, as I was preparing for the show today, that I kind of caught my curiosity because of the uh-huh. heritage of Taiko going back thousands of years from the Japanese tradition and how <laughs> integrated it is into the, the culture of Japan. But then I started looking at, at other, you know, going back to the playlist of 2,000 years ago across the world, you know, Native um, uh indigenous Americans, um, native indigenous Africans, you know, the drum was a, a vehicle for them as well. And I started mm-hmm. just kind of sampling some of their traditions. So my, my first question for you is, um, is there, I mean, you are, you've taken something and pulled it up into kind of the modern realm by by creating a space for women mm-hmm. in this art form and and from women from all over the world not just not just in Japan is there any infusion of taiko with other drum, drumming traditions or is that something just not done oh no absolutely i would say that the the traditions are evolving and you know growing and expanding with the experience of everyone who comes to it. So nowadays, you know, a lot of taiko performances you'll see, if you know, you'll recognize world rhythms, you'll recognize Afro-Cuban rhythms, um, Latin rhythms in there. You know, people bring their their own culture and their own experience, and and that palette just richens and deepens. You know, in the context of of taiko drumming. Uh, yeah, but there's also you know, the the thing that's really oh, interesting, I 
I, I feel like that you were touching on is just that I feel um, that Tycho lives on this, this really fascinating place where it is both traditional and has those like sort of ancient roots that go back into history and culture. Um, but at the same time, as a performance art, as something that you would do with a group on a stage, that's actually quite new. So it evolves out of the shrines, out of the festivals, out of the fields, onto the stage, really in the late 60s, um, uh, post-World War II. Uh, so that, that sort of evolution um, really, really helped make Tycho become even more and more popular. So when you think of something like, um, oh, say, like marching bands in the U.S., where every town, no matter how big or how small, has their marching band, um, in Japan, it's kind of like that with Taiko, that you have all these different levels and different ages and different ways people can come and express themselves with Taiko drumming. Um, so you get everything from, you know, the, the, the grandparents at the community center and the kindergartners in school all the way to the professional drummers who tour the world, you know. There's a big palette yeah, of what Taiko holds. Yeah. Absolutely. And kind of going back to that um, 1960s, in a way, the story that you have developed and you have put out into the world now, and not just the story, but the event you created, sort of starts back there because um, a couple of, or at least one of the artists that you brought in was one of the founding members of, of um, uh, a performance group in Japan. And, yes. and as a woman, wasn't allowed to participate on the drums at that time. Um, right. Tell us, tell us a little bit about the history for women and um, Taiko. Yeah. So, you know, like many, like many other fields, you know, not unique to Taiko, but um, I think part of, like you touched on this earlier too in the intro, is that you know traditionally uh, in Japan they thought you know the drums are so loud and so powerful that the gods can hear us, so we can communicate to the gods with through our drums ask for prayers, ask for blessings, you know. Um, and so they only men were holy enough to, to do that. Um, but over the years, that has changed. And, you know, even though someone who, you know, many of the people who have these rich careers today, when they started, were told you can't drum. And they just had to keep finding ways to, to not give up or to satisfy that drive or that curiosity, that passion that they had. And eventually they were able to drum. And now the participation has changed so much and so quickly that I'd say 60% of taiko drummers are women, which is astounding because that changed in such a short amount of time. However, and this is the, the part that I caution everybody with, you know, kind of anyone who's in the margins, LGBTQ+, you know, everybody, right. is that participation doesn't always bring equity. This idea that, right. okay, now you're allowed to drum, but what's the power structure? Who makes the decisions? Who gets sponsored? Who has careers? Who's making money? Who's not? You know, the pay differences, all of those things, those come into play even after participation is no longer an issue. Um, so, yeah, we were, we were wanting to not only sort of reflect the journey that some of these pioneers and artists made, Chieko Kojima that you were talking about, Tiffany Tamarabuchi, there's so many in our film and that you can find in the Taiko community that they blaze these trails forward. Um, but at the same time, we're saying, all right, 
Now, don't look at them as unicorns, as like these magical one-offs. Right. Look at them as a proof of concept that like, look at what can happen if you just open your mind to the possibilities. You know, if you let more people in from the margins, it's only going to be a win-win. And so that's, you know, this, this Herbeat project was that, like a celebration of like, look at what we are, look at what we do. You know, there's amazingness here and not only just a few of us, we're here in mass. And guess what? We could have filled the stage 10 times over if we had the money and the time, you know? Um, so, oh, just, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. So, so, it's, um, I mean, I, I would, I would take it above a celebration though, because you created history. I mean, you created a historical event. You know, it's like it was—it it was landmark. It didn't feel like that. Thank you. Oh, it, yeah. It, it didn't you know, feel it's so like funny. That, um, yeah, in the film, because yeah. you guys were—I mean, it was like a day in your life. I mean, well, part of the story is that two of the unicorns live in the same house, and that's you and and your wife. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, you know, and and here you had like these trailblazers coming from all over the world in the snowstorm kind of cuddled up in your cozy home in Minnesota, which seems like the, a very unlikely setting for a historical event that it was. Right. Yeah. It's <laughs> sort like, of absurd, you know? Um, well, and also I'm a Korean adoptee. So I, you know, I say in the film that I have no claim, cultural claim to taiko drumming. Um, but somehow in my life it claimed me and, so I'm just so grateful that I had this opportunity to bring these people together and to, you know, make these connections and networks and, and create art together. It was so incredible. And it did feel special. It felt like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of opportunity. But I'm actually hoping that it's just the first of many. Oh, I hope totally. More people yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And what you were saying about equity and everything else is like, I mean, my reaction to that is you have thrown down the gauntlet. I mean, that's what it was, it was the gauntlet throw. And, you know, and I believe they've already done another um, Herbeat in Japan, correct? Yes, exactly. Yes, the Japanese artists got together and did a performance, and that's really phenomenal. Like, you know, I guess you would think that Japan, you know, all these, all these performers know each other, but they never have the opportunity to work together. And that's the part that, you know, that we helped, you know, create those connections. And I'm just so tickled about that. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. It, you know, the whole idea came from Tiffany, Tamara Bucci, and Megan, like, years and years ago. Um, but sometimes, you know, uh, you know how you can kind of feel, like, when everyone's ready for something, like, the idea just, like, has legs of its own? Um that's how this project felt. Like as soon as she told me, my eyes lit up. I'm like, yes. Why aren't somebody doing this? You know, why aren't we doing this? And and then I mentioned it to somebody else, and they gave me a yes and said, if you do this, we'll produce it. And then suddenly I was like, oh, well, let me ask a funder. And they said, yes, we'll fund it. And you know, kind of within two weeks of just it being a pipe dream, it became reality. So I, I just encourage everyone out there to. Always give airtime to your dreams. You have no idea where your first yes is going to come from. It, it might be totally it, unexpected. That even extended into making the film, because from my understanding, yes. you took the film idea to the, the filmmaker, the director of, of the film, as merely a, hey, we're doing this. It's kind of cool. Could you kind of film it? And she went, oh, my God, this is a movie. 
We need to right. make this as a full movie, you know. And so it's like it, it the the momentum that you created, you know, it it did it it turned into a life unto it, itself. Um, I want yeah. I want to take this back a little bit though. How did you and Megan get together? Was it you know was it that you both were um, met on the the Takeo, you know landscape and that's what brought you well, together yeah. or it, it, you know, Tycho did bring me my family. We um, we knew of each other just in terms of, like, being in the Tycho community, um, but never really spent much time together. I think we performed once um, in the past when we both were with different partners. Um, and then it turned out that we were at a Tycho conference in L.A., actually, and um, we were both single at the time, and she was living in Japan, and... Um, and we kind of hooked up from there, and I thought, like, oh, that was amazing. What an amazing person. But, you know, she's got this career in Japan, and I live in Minnesota, you know. Um, but somehow it, it worked out, and next thing you know, she, she moved to Minnesota, and we had a baby, and life just took off. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, so, it's so funny. You are so powerful and so sweet. It's like it's sort of like <laughs> – I, I think the, the the demeanor that you put off is so comfortable and comfort cozy, and you know it's the the powerhouse you wield within is you know it's it, when you express it, it's there. I mean, it's like it's not that. It's just but it's not like somebody would go, oh, she's so intimidating. It's like where they probably should. You probably should intimidate. No, people. no, no, never, never. <laughs> You're so kind. Um, yeah. So, you know, no, here's what I think. I think that sort of me as kind of this nobody, honestly, and Tycho, who's like calling up all my heroes and like face, you know, messaging them, Facebook messaging them out of the blue saying like, you know, we have this crazy idea. If we get the funding, would you want to come? Um, the fact that I was, you know, someone they hadn't heard of from Minnesota and not someone who was, you know, a rival or like associated with a certain type of Tyco, you know, if you have like, again, I, we were trying to bring together a real um, diversity of, of styles and approaches and ages and, you know, geographies and try to, you know, have a real palette of, of um, different expressions and different experiences. And so I think it helps to kind of, I felt like Minnesota was sort of like Switzerland, like we were nobody's turf so it was okay for everybody to meet together on neutral ground and everybody could be like what is happening why are we here this is amazing um and then and, just and if it together yeah yeah and if it wasn't switzerland in image you even brought in the snow to prove that it was going to be switzerland yeah that's part of the image is like yeah, it's it's when you describe what happened in in your mind, you would envision you know everybody descending upon you know the Plaza Hotel in New York and this great combined convention and everything else. And it's <laughs> like no, it's like going through the snow in Minnesota, and you, there was actually an, a a hidden character in your film, and that is the emergence of COVID, which was kind of yeah. popping up in in that. Um, talk about those challenges that that occurred as these this group of incredible women came together, all in your house, and then people were getting sick. 
Yeah, the sickness, you just don't plan for that, right? Even before, like now with COVID, people almost do kind of plan for it. But prior to that, um, we just thought it was like a wicked, wicked case of the flu, which was also going around and which I still kind of think we all had. But it knocked us out one by one. Like literally I was taking people to urgent care. Um, And so when you're in this intense, we only have X amount of time left to put this this um, this huge concert together, the world is watching us, and one by one we're all, like, dropping like flies. Um, it was terrifying. Um, but not nearly as terrifying as it would be if I knew, like, if I was listening to the news, which I wasn't because I was in rehearsals, and if I had any idea of what we were on the cusp of, I would have lost my mind. Um, but right. thankfully, oh. we were completely in the dark, just, you know, experiencing it, day by day as like the news trickles in and the situation changes. Um, so, you know, I, we finished and like, I just couldn't believe, believe like how close everything came to being a disaster, you know? Um, and, and thank yeah, God. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was actually miraculous. And I think that comes through in the film is like, it, it was like this, this, this thing that was about to descend and it, and it's interesting because as a viewer of the film and, you know, the film kind of talks about, you know, February, 2020 and you're sitting there watching going, Oh God, I know what's about to happen here in the world. And it was like, and they're, they don't know that they're, they're, they're innocently going towards this great event, not knowing what is about to fall. And it's like, is the event going to happen? Because, so many events, boom, you know, it, it right? just, you know, the, yeah. your Broadway shut down, all this shut down. I know. And the fact oh that my you gosh. were able yes. to do it, yeah, it was like, wow. So that yeah, lives are unintentional in those moments. And, yeah, and, and it's, I agree with you. It's sort of this collective trauma where everyone's like, oh, I remember where I was or what happened or what changed, you know, for me, like in those days. Um, so, yeah, it's. It's it's a fascinating sort of look back, I gotta say. <laughs> so from from that performance and you being on the stage and being part of it and and I'm sure the relief that it was actually had come together was a big part of it. But what parts of the concert impacted you the most as a participant? Um, as a participant, I think for me the the beginning of the show and the end of the show. Um, just because that those numbers are where we had everyone on stage, and for me the like for me like as a director producer the 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 opus for me was that intro number of trying to highlight all of these amazing artists and all of their differences, but put them together on stage at the same time and have it work like that was my puzzle to figure out, and I thought if I could do that then then everything's golden, you know, like it all work out somehow. Um, so for me, like that first kind of explosion of energy on stage was a big moment. And then at the end, when we all come together and, and play this song that has a very um, peace, healing energy to it, it was, I mean, I, I, I can't even explain how it felt on stage. Like I honestly felt like I was in an altered state of um, – of being in sync and being in the moment of and being sort of in an energy circle of oh, all the best things in the world, you know? So, um, 
those those were probably my favorite moments. Oh, that that's amazing. What was the song at the end called? What which song was that? Uh it was called Eleven. Okay. And we that's... talk about it in the film. Yeah, Kaoli yeah. Sano is the creator of that and she is this power petite powerhouse, brilliant, um, healing force of good in the world. And um in in the person we mentioned earlier, Cheiko Kojima, she you know, she was a founding member of one of the most renowned taiko groups in the world, Kodo. So she kind of came up and worked within the taiko community to change it. Um, and Kauli Asano has always been, until recent times, like on the outside of taiko, where her style was so unique and her approach was so unique that in Japan people said, you know, that's not taiko, that's something else. And so she just did her own thing, and it was you know she's she has a huge following and and has like you know 20 CDs and is constantly performing and um sort of created created her own space um and now people are looking to her as a leader and it's so interesting you know in that she literally had to go outside of the whole community in order to create um what she does so it's that insider outsider kind of perspective that is so interesting they both went different paths but but each were like yeah. phenomenal in what they what they gave to the to the art. And that piece eleven is amazing. It is so oh. incredible on so many levels. It's like and um Kaoli in the middle of it, I mean her presence is just above and beyond. It's like she's translucent. I mean it's it it, yeah. it is amazing. Yeah. But um Tell tell some of the story behind that of what Eleven is about. Is that that blew oh. my mind? Yeah. Well, yes. So for for her, it was you know um, on March 11th when there was the huge earthquake and tsunami and so much of Japan um, perished and then was struggling with you know a complete disaster. Um, things were in chaos and ruins and, and people couldn't, you know, meet and, and they couldn't drum for a, a while. And then finally, when they were able to drum, this song came to her all in a moment. Um, and it was this this requiem. It was a healing. It was, you know, a hope for peace. Um, and it's her mission to share that, like, with the whole world. And then, and then of course, then September 11th happened. And she's like, this is not just for Japan or for the U.S., but it's for world peace. And so everywhere she goes, she teaches this song, and it connects this, you know, it's connecting people in this worldwide community through this song. It's quite beautiful. And it's it's simple, and, you know, there's like 11, you know, repetitions and verses, um, and but it all just comes from such a deep, soulful, beautiful healing place. And then she has a, you know, as a person, it's so charismatic and incredible that um, this piece just kind of has has that magic behind it um, that she's put into it. So, yeah, it's a very soulful, almost spiritual healing song. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's. It was phenomenal to learn that with her, yeah. to play it with her on stage. Like, that's, it's just insane. It was amazing. Yeah, it's, it is so moving. And, uh, and to me, it, it, you know, and I, I was experiencing it, again, not in the best place. I mean, I'm watching the, the film video with a, a decent yeah. sound system, not, not 
not not one that I would really prefer to listen to it with, but not not there and not being able to see it, just being able to appreciate that if I was there, it would be mind-blowing uh, experience to, to do that. But the fact that it was March 11th, um, and that also occurred in two, uh, 2011, and then she brought in 9-11, and there's a part during yeah. the performance where they lift up um, the drumsticks, and I don't know that this was intended or not, whether the drumsticks were forming 11 or what I saw, though, was it, it took me to the Twin Towers, and it just sort of, mm-hmm. so it, yes. it was like I was pulling in all this symbolism with it as well. And it just was, yes. you know, it was it was an art piece that was, like, above and beyond. It, it, it was more than just music and drums and performance. It was like, it, it just created a, a whole other level, which... Um, Anyway, I wish I had a question in there. Just, you know, did you think it was as fantastic as I thought it was? (laughs) There's your question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. And I just think that's the thing with with an embodied practice. You know, it's like your whole, all of you is in it, right? And and just that idea of all of these people reaching up to the sky, like, you know, all together. It's, 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 it is amazing. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I am such a fan. I'm such a fan of the artists um, in the film. I'm such a fan of the art form itself. And there's just, there's so much diversity to it that all of the, and, uh, you know, the, the fun thing about Psycho is that it's small enough still that, like, a lot of people know each other in the community. And you can go to any, you know, city and meet the Tycho group and, like, have good food together and find good people. Um, but it's also growing in that way of like its impact is growing and people are catching on to, to how amazing it is. It's, it's like the best therapy. It's the best workout. It's the best artistic expression, all sort of in one, one thing, you know? It, absolutely. It's, it, it is, it's something you feel. And that's why I was even saying, you know, it's like, because there is so much frustration and, and anger about what is happening in the LGBT community, I could see oh, that as sure. a place to to do a a Tycho piece and and let it out. It's like you know, it's like yeah. beat those drums that, because it, it it it's more than just like like having anger and frustration and passion and taking it out. It creates almost it a transforms that energy. And, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, yeah, you know, which that's is the thing. Amazing. Like I can come to a rehearsal and I can be exhausted, frustrated, even rageful, you know. Um, and then you put that energy into the drum, and it transforms it into a healing energy, um, like in a way that is both creative, expressive, and not violent. But you get to hit things. It's it's <laughs> it's the perfect thing. Um, <laughs> It's, like, it's such a good release. It's such, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, you walk away feeling cleaner. You wa- walk away feeling more more energized. You you walk away feeling more grounded. You know, all of those things. And then the other thing I would say that I think is really unique about our Herbie concert, um, and there's, you know, and I think this is something that that also sort of translates into the performers who are queer as well, is that. 
that sometimes it's revolutionary just bringing your whole self forward, right? Like mm-hmm. just putting yourself out in the open, on stage, all of yourself. And when you then, whatever your genre is, taiko or anything else, you know, taiko, drag, whatever it could be, like when you bring all of yourself and you let that light shine and and if it costs you something to be there, you know, if you had to overcome something to be there, then then without even the words or the 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 um the 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 logic or the arguments behind it, you are just fully representing yourself. It's revolutionary. It's so simple, but you can feel that power um when that happens and when people show up in that way. It's it's astounding and I think that's true with Tycho too. Like the more it co- costs you to do your art, the more invested you are, the more just you being there says something. Um, so when you see, like, powerful, badass women drumming, you know, like, especially, like, Asians who aren't being um, the model minority or, or, or uh, submissive, but they're being loud and taking up space and being queer and being powerful and graceful and all those things at once, it is like – Wow, that's more than drumming, you know? It's 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 something. It's life-changing. It is fantastic. We are we literally have two and a half minutes left and quickly we need to tell people how they can yes. see the film. because uh, I know you've done the film oh. festivals. How can they find Finding Her Beat? Oh, thank you. So yes, we are doing the festival circuit. We are coming to most cities near you. We're going we've been, you know, Actually, I think we've hit 30-plus festivals already, and we're still going strong. Coming up, we're going to be at the San Diego Asian American Film Festival. Um, We're going to be in the Milwaukee Film Festival. I think we've got a film festival in May in the U.K. Um, So if you go to – you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, Finding Her Beat. You can go to our website, findingherbeat.com, and see our screening schedule. We update that pretty regularly. But hopefully later this fall, then we'll have a we'll we'll find our distributor and we'll get it streaming or online, um, so that the whole world can watch it. Um, but yeah, I know that, follow but, us. Yeah, we that, would love, that, love. Yeah, that that oh, is the one definitely going to happen. Too, Somebody, sorry. go for it. Oh, I hope so. If you're out there, come find us. We want to talk. Um, the other thing is that we try to, like, if there's a local taiko group, wherever we're screening, we try to get them to come and perform and spotlight, you know, the taiko that's in your backyard um, so that you can seek it out and find them and take classes and support them as well. Um, but, yeah, like, we we feel that this, I, you know, honestly, we screened in, like, in Arkansas, and people who have never heard of Tycho um, have just fallen in love with it and, you know, like, surprised me with how much they, they connected to the film. So I really feel this is – Perfect. It's, it's you know, uh, different. it's a different – We could We could go all, all day, but unfortunately the timer is going to cut us off very brutally here in okay. a second. Thank you so much for being Thank you. you so Thank much. you for coming on today. This is amazing. Guys, check out the film. Um, check out Tycho in general. But definitely, you know, yes. the film is a wonderful way to dive in. And um, Jennifer, can't wait to see this streamed. And I know you're going to have huge, huge success with that. And for those of us at oh, LGBT or Rated LGBT Radio, we will talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 